And now, a word from our sponsors. Gabriella Balcom won the right to have a novel published by Clarendon House Publishing when one of her stories was voted best in the anthology in which it appeared. Her book, On the Wings of Ideas, came out following this. What's your favorite genre? Fantasy? Horror? Sci-fi? Romance? Literary fiction? This multi-genre collection of short stories includes all of that and more and has something for everyone. Gabriella's stories will alternately move you and bring you to tears, captivate or horrify you, and have you on the edge of your seat. Don't miss out. Be sure to get a copy today. Submissions are now open until August 1st for the Sweetie Cat Press Anthology, The Whole Wide World. The submissions should be episodes of no more than 3,000 words and as few as 50 words about the worldwide adventures of Detective Curly Knucklewad and his assistant, Miss Wanda Wowser, as they go on a manhunt for the unknown thief of the limp noodle sauce recipe stolen from the secret government food laboratory in San Francisco. Submission guidelines are in the blog section of the Sweetie Cat Press website at sweetiecatpress.com. That's sweetiecatpress.com. S-W-E-E-T-Y-C-A-T-P-R-E-S-S dot com. Gabriella Balcom's thrilling sci-fi novella, The Return. The world doesn't know about the compound hidden underground and the wealthy investors funding it want things to stay that way. Although it's the year 2027, most of the facility's research is illegal. If animal rights activists had an inkling of what went on, they'd clamor for justice. Human rights activists would scream from the rooftops. By the time 2030 arrives, researchers have worked for a while with feline service units and human replicas. HRs, who are virtual prisoners with no rights. More and more of them are dying and they long for freedom. Surprisingly, one of the top scientists isn't happy with the status quo either. Tensions are mounting and things are not as they appear. Summertime is here, and the best way to beat the heat is with these great deals at MythMart.com. Join the adventure with sisters Emma and Olivia as they journey through the land of imagination in search of Yoon, the magical unicorn, in David K. Montoya's The Missing Unicorn and the Land of the Zombie Fairies. Or travel with poet Christopher Bice as he shares his thoughts on love, death, inspiration, and madness in Escaping the Darkness, Running from My Dreams. If fantasy romance is more your speed, join Celeste and Merrick as they figure out how to defeat the evil Ren doll while they figure out the plans of the elders in Stephanie J. Vardy's The Chosen. Like comic books? We got them too! Hot Off the Press is American Smash by Alan Russo and David K. Montoya for $4.99. Or enjoy our older releases like The Hunter's Exodus for only $2.99. Also, just in time for the summer are these other hot deals like Zoe M. Montoya's Uni Whale t-shirt, blue for boys and pink for girls, only $33.99. Or Lupus Bits the Podcast shirt for $27.99. For all our art lovers, we have something for you too with our prints and lithographs. Check out the Ed Vickford collection for $15 each or enjoy the art of Vincent May for $15. We have everything you'll need to stay inside and beat the summertime heat at MythMart.com. 
For more information, go to www.mythmart.com. Call us at 870-557-2612 or email sales at mythmart.com. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Grindhouse Sleaze. I am your host, Alan Rousseau. I'm David Camondoya. All right. Tonight, today, whatever, whatever time you're listening, we're going to do a little, something a little different tonight. We're going to go over three movies, not just one. Tonight, we're going to talk about Friday the 13th, part two, and the remake. What we're going to do is we're going to compare and contrast all three at one time. We're going to start with part one, which everybody knows. Boy drowns in the 1950s. 30 years later, mom comes back to take revenge on anybody that works at the camp. Doesn't really matter who it is, whatever. You know, she killed, even in the beginning, you know, you see that she killed the counselors that let her son drown. So why hold a grudge for 30 years? That's just stupid. Well, then you find out that the owner of the camp at that time in the 80s, it's his parents that owned the camp in the 50s. So that makes a little bit of a timeline that she blamed the whole family. But it makes me wonder if the guy that owned the camp now in the 80s if he was one of the kids that I guess you would say tormented her son back in the 50s makes you wonder you know or else why would she hold a grudge for 30 years on just the camp you know it makes you wonder then you kind of get into part two a little bit and part two you see that supposedly died in the 50s as a grown adult doesn't make much sense. But when you put one and two together, the end of part one, you see Jason coming out of the water, pulling her in the lake. Word out starts the off with part two. Yeah. So, you know, he pulls her into the lake. She flips over. They didn't find him, yada, yada, yada. Two opens up. Jason kills her. Mm -hmm. Then you start the events of part two. Okay. Now, part two is the one where she's at the apartment, right? Right. In the beginning? Starts off at the apartment. In the okay. beginning, yeah, gotcha. You know, because the events of part one, you know, the events of part one just go, 
pretty much is a revenge plot all the way through. But it's a great slasher flick. Because you go through and you have no idea who it is from the get-go. I mean, even in the future, I mean, you don't even know what it's about. Oh, no. <laughs> until almost the end. You know? I mean, you literally, you don't have a clue why everybody's being murdered until the end of the film. Which I was okay Which with. Which is... I, I was, too. A little kind of depressed about it. I mean... Overall, it worked because beginning to end, people were getting murdered, don't know why. Started off like, oh, we're doing nothing after. Damn, they're killed. Jumped to present day, which was like, what, 80, 81? Mm, Yeah, something like that. And then you start off with the murders. Yeah. And then you start off with the murders going through. You know, each person's getting killed off little by little. And the one thing that kind of turned the tide is the owner of the camp. He's like, oh, hey, you know, what are you doing on this mess? And then he gets killed. Mm-hmm. So, so at that point, it made me wonder. I mean, I, you already kind of figured out that it was somebody he knew. But it made you wonder, was it somebody that was at the camp at that time? You know, was it one of the... You cut out, Al. Oh, that can you hear me now? You cut out. Yeah, that whole okay. sentence you just said was lost. Oh, crap. Try it again. Okay, okay. try it again. So, you know, it makes you wonder if it's somebody that he's tired of the camp. That's the murder mm-hmm. at that point. You know, or the sheriff that he's run into before, which you kind of don't think about that because the sheriff's the one that picks him up. And you don't really, I mean, you can tell it ain't the, the diner, stick at the diner, because I mean, it's just the way her character was portrayed. So it makes you wonder, you know, because you know it's somebody he knows, so it makes you wonder, is it a counselor? Because you, up to that point, those are the only characters you know. And I think that's what made it work so well in the slasher genre. Because you I think it was a no happy clue. accident. I think so. To be honest with you. Out of all of the Friday the 13th movies, well, no, I can't say that. I was going to say that part one was probably my least favorite, but that's that's not true. I I did not enjoy Jason X. Um, 
but it, it's it was a happy accident because you don't even get the Jason that everybody knows today. You know, the seven foot tall, you know, machete carrying, hockey mask wearing. You don't get that until the third movie. So right. to get to part three to really start the franchise, I, I think that was a happy accident. I really do. Now, with that being said, I will say that part two is my favorite. I wouldn't, say my, I wouldn't say it was my favorite. Probably second. Probably the second. <clears throat> because, you know... Jason Lewis was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, but I think one of the worst ones besides Jason X was uh, New Beginning. <laughs> That, that, was just, that was the that was the one with the 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 fake Jason. The paramedic right? that was yeah yeah yes oh my god yes. I mean it was a good filler because it made you think he wasn't crazy you know he wasn't crazy. But at the it same was, time, I was like, yeah. It, it didn't even have that many boobs in it. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, compared to the rest of the movies, well, even to the original, I mean, there wasn't that much. Yeah, I mean, to a kid, maybe that's that's why I'm thinking is because as a kid, it it maybe seemed more. I don't know. Yeah, you, you know, actually, now that I'm thinking about it through a kid's perspective. I remember yeah. it being like full of a full of like naked women, but yeah. you watch it again, and there's actually not that much nudity. No. I mean, honestly, yeah. Even in part two, there wasn't a whole lot. Mm-mm. I think like what thirty seconds, maybe, just as she's going into the water. That's it. Yeah. I don't think Which, the franchise started. With the heavy unity until part four. That was like mid 80s, right? Yeah, that's the one with Corey Feldman. Oh, yeah. And Crispin See, Glover. And <laughs> one of these days, we're going to have to sit and talk about mid 80s because I think from like 84 to 89 were some of the greatest horror films slash films ever made. And I don't think that anything oh yeah has even come close to it since then and that's sad because that's 30 no. 33 years ago right i mean you had some great stuff in the 80s in the early 80s because that's where it all started but i think about 84 it was a completely different game yeah because from absolutely. 78 it was this yeah because from 78 to 84, you know, you had Halloween, Friday the 13th, part one, part two. Hellraiser. You know. I thought Hellraiser had come up to 85. Well, it fits in that, that time. Yeah, time. right. And then you had like your Phantasm movie, you know, your first couple of Phantasm movies. And yeah. 
you know, you had that slash genre that began, but I think because, you know, going back to Nightmare on Elm Street, that picked up in 84. So that yeah. began a whole new genre of slasher. But you take everything psychological from slasher. Right. But you take everything from 78 to 84, even going back to like 76. Even hell, even go back to 74 with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. It really wasn't a slasher flick for the most part, but <laughs> when you start 78, which everybody considers Halloween the first slasher. So when you pick it up from there to 84, that was just the groundwork for everything that came out after 84. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you had a lot of groundwork for Halloween 2 on up, and then you had all that groundwork for, you know, Friday the 13th. Child, Child's, Child's Play. Play. Right. The first Child's Play was really good. Yeah. Got stupid around the third one. Yeah, I agree. Then it got even. Yeah, then it got even dumber with Bride of Chucky and all that mess. But the remake sucked. I'll be honest. Oh I my god! Like the I, remake. Yeah. <coughs> um, and I, I, mean, I bring her up a lot on these shows. Uh, Zoe, my my oldest daughter, my middle child, oldest daughter. Um, we've seen a lot of almost every scary movie. You know. And um, that is her thing is she's just afraid of Chucky, but she watched the remake and she said, that sucked. I'm like, yeah, that did suck. Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> now I'm going back to the original conversation. <laughs> yeah, we digress. We digressed a lot. We do it a lot. So a lot. We're used to it. But going back to that, you know, just the franchise in general, the pivotal moment between one and two, in my opinion, isn't there. Because Jason coming out of the water, pulling her down, they could have ended part one right there and ended the rest of the franchise. Oh, absolutely. By her waking up in the hospital, it kind of let the franchise go a little bit, gave me a little bit of a open opportunity to create a sequel. But at the same time, you could have closed it off right there because, you know, the cop's like, we didn't find any boys. So she's like, well, he's still there. Well, you could have passed that off as, you know, she just imagined the whole thing. That she saw them, went to go wave that up and fell out of the boat. Boom, done. It did leave it up for a sequel. And originally what I was reading is they weren't going to do a part two. Really? Yeah. Because 
at the time, Friday the 13th was considered a low budget movie. It was like $100,000, $200,000. But they made like, I think 15 or 20 million. I might be off by a little bit. But it was considered a low, you know, low budget horror flick. And it made like yeah, three it, or four times the budget. It was $550,000. But uh, on, let's see, it opening weekend, US Canada, May 11th, 1980, when it came out, it made 5800 so that's really good. And then in total for the whole thing, it made $39,754. Now, mind you, this is 1980. Um, and then worldwide, it didn't, it, it just, it only went from US to Canada and never went anywhere else after that in the right. 80s. Right. But, but still, it, half a million dollars and you made almost 40 million dollars in return that's a hell of a return right especially in the 80s i mean why not build a franchise off of that heck yeah or at least a sequel let's see but you know they crank them sequels out damn near one a year i think part two came out in like 82 and then after that, they cranked them out like once a year after that for three or four years. I'm just uh, looking up something. You can go ahead. Let's see. So, but, you know, they opened up for a sequel. And that was great. I mean, I like the fact that you didn't know. Who, in, in a way, I like the fact that you didn't have didn't know the killer till the end. Uh-huh. But at the same time, you had no motivation for the killings. So it was kind of like, you know, it's that, it's like Crazy Ralph's like, it's got a death curse. You're going to camp blood, ain't you? Okay, but, you know, you have no backstory. Other than the killings back in the 50s that they show for like, what, the first minute of the film? Yeah. You know, so other than that, you have no backstory. Just to jump in real fast, uh, I went to the inflation calculator. Um, so 39000 no, excuse me, $39,754,601 is which, what the first number right. uh, Friday the 13th made in today's money. Talk about inflation. Let's, let's talk about inflation. Today would have been $135 million, $7,039.65 in today's money. Right. So you're talking big about bucks. You're talking a $95 million difference. Yeah. Let's see. And since I'm here, let's go ahead and do this and find out. Let's see. And roughly $550,000 in 1980 was $1.8 million. 
Yeah. So that's not bad. No, that's still amazing. Yeah. Like, right. I mean, you're they, you know, if you looked at today's money that made it for a million, made a hundred and thirty million. I mean, come on. So what do you know? It's almost 130% profit. What do you know about why they changed the name to Friday the 13th? You know why. Because the original title was A Long Night at Camp Blood. I don't know the answer. I'm actually I, I, I'm curious. If I'm not mistaken, it's because they were going to release it on Friday the 13th. actually have to look that one up <laughs> i don't remember well yeah because it came out on may 11th you know it, it could have it would have yeah excuse me Ugh, cut that out joe <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah because what is let's find out what day that was uh, probably a Friday. Let's see. I think it was no. It says it's Sunday. How is that possible? It says it came out on a Sunday. Movies right. never, yeah. Movies never come out on a Sunday. No. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't remember why they changed their name. I'd have to. I, that's one that I'd actually have to look up. Yeah, it's just. It, I know that's why they actually went and did a movie called Camp Blood. You know, it was because right. of that. Because they were going to use that, but then they went with Freddy the 13th. Now, quite frankly, uh, that kind of worked in their favor because, you know, Camp Blood didn't really take off as a franchise as opposed to the Freddy the 13th. That's what I was saying. You know, happy accident. Everything just kind of worked perfectly together for Friday the, for Friday the 13th, the first one. Right. Um, let's see. While you're looking that up, let me see if I can find some fun little tidbits here. Um, we are going to have to go to New Jersey, sir. Uh, yeah. Camp Nini Boo Boo. Yep. 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 I just saw that. So we'll hit that first and hit, you know, get some pictures, and then we'll go to uh, Leonardo, New Jersey. Yes. And uh, stopped by Kevin Smith's uh, well, old place of employment. Um, so what people don't know is the uh, the movie was filmed at a camp, No Be Boo School, S-C-O, School, um, in New Jersey. The camp is still operational as of today. And it has a wall of Friday the 13th, 1980 memorabilia to horror that the movie was set there. I would love to go see that. 
Oh yeah. Definitely. Uh, let's see what else they got. We already talked about that. Um, Tom Savini was the first crew member on board for the film because the producer idolized his makeup effects in Dawn of the Dead. Did you know that? Of course you did. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the can, there's yeah. an 11 Sand Pond Road, Blairstown, New Jersey. There you go. Road trip. Road trip. Uh, let's see. Most of the location and sets were already there. The crew only had to build the bathroom set. Nice. Wow. Um, while most of the cast and crew stayed at local hotels during filming, some of the most dedicated, including Tom Savini, uh, Tasso in Starvikis, stayed in the actual campsite. They had Savini's Betamax VCR and only a couple of movies such as Barbarella, 1968, and the Marathon Man, 1976, on videotape to keep themselves entertained so each night they would watch one. To this day, Savini says he can recite those movies by heart. That's pretty damn cool. <laughs> that is great. Right. The MPAA told producers of Friday the 13th to scale back on the gore for the sequel since they regretted the amount of gore that had gotten through in the original and some subsequent critical backlash. This is why part two is much less gory than part one. Damn it, PWA. Uh, yeah, you gotta hate them. I mean, you really do. You, you know my feelings on the MPAA. <laughs> right? Um, uh, let's see. Victoria Miller admitted that he was purposely writing the success of John Carpenter's Halloween. Now, I need to find out who Victor Miller is. Do you know who that is? Victor Miller was the producer, I think. I was just looking at it. He was a screenwriter. Oh, he was at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Let's see. So, I can't what, find anything it, where they changed the name to Friday the 13th. Huh. What did he do in Halloween? I don't see him on Halloween at all. Oh, maybe he was just saying he took the beats from Halloween as a writer. He probably just, yeah. Um, Betsy Palmer tells fans that she had no idea who this character in the hockey mask is since her son drowned in 1957. Yep. Harry Cosby, who played Bill in the movie, is the son of Bean Crosby. Huh. Now Did that, you know I that? Didn't know. I didn't know that one. 
Because the camp was closed during filming and situated in a deep New Jersey woods, the cast and crew didn't see much outside interference. But it did turn out they had a very famous neighbor, rock star Lou Reed, who owned a farm nearby. We got to watch Lou Reed play for free right in front of us while we were making the film. That's pretty cool. Yeah. At the 19 minute mark, special effects supervisor Tom Savini performed the arrow shot that nearly missed Brenda when she was setting up the archery target. Oops. <laughs> I guess that's yeah. a good thing you missed. <laughs> right? Uh, let's see. What do you got? I'm still looking. I can't find anything on the changing of the name. I've been looking and looking and looking, but. So give me, give me some ideas. Huh. This is an interesting fact. Okay. They didn't even have a completed script when they even, when they started advertising it in Variety Magazine. Uh, so, I mean, okay, the original screen to is ten, tentatively titled Long Night at Camp Blood. While working on the redraft of the screenplay, Cunningham proposed the title Friday the 13th, after which Miller began redeveloping. Cunningham rushed out to place an advertisement variety using the Friday the 13th title, Worried that someone else owned the rights to the title and wanting to avoid potential lawsuits, Cunningham thought it would be best to find out immediately. So that's why they changed the name and developed the, and developed the logo. So <clears throat> there was a movie before ours called Friday the 13th, The Orphan. It was moderately successful, but someone still threatened to sue. <clears throat> Either Phil, somebody paid them off, but it was finally resolved. So there's all the information on that one. You know, and once you leave part one and go into part two, the thing about going into uh, <clears throat> the gore factor, I, I kind of noticed that. I mean, it did have more gore, but it was to an extent, but it was calm because they, they were short instead of actual long. Uh, Instead of them being like a minute, minute and a half in length, they're like 20, 30 seconds. Like the two were making love in the bed, and he took the spear right through. All you saw was the tip of the spear go through the bed into the floor. So, you know, quick shots like that. 
the one in the wheelchair. I can't, uh, Mark. All you see from behind is the machete you come across, him in the forehead. You know, you realistically, the front and then down the stairs. You couldn't do that now. You could not no. do that scene. Cheers. No. <laughs> Too many people would get offended because they killed a guy in a wheelchair. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> people, people would lose their mind. You know they would. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but like I said, there's no direct tie-in between one and two, which kind of irritates me. Because when you get into part two, he's a fully grown man. But he died yeah. in the 50s. And you're talking, this is like, you know, 81, 82. So, you know, did he actually die in the 50s? Or was it, you know, the mob just thought he drowned? Right. It was 1981. You know, and they never really explained how he come back. Which that's always bugged me. Because it makes you kind of wonder, did he see his mom get beheaded because he had the head in the shack? Right, on the shrine thing. Right. With her sweater, with the blood stains, and the machete that was used to cut her head off. Right. You know, so it kind of makes you wonder was he there or you know, did he come back? You know, how did he get you know, if he if he did come back, how? I mean, that explains the superhuman abilities through the rest of the franchise. But it doesn't explain the age jump. Because at the end of part one, he was still a boy. Right. You know, and then you go into part two, which is only, you know, even in the script, it said, you know, two years ago or whatever. Now he's a 30-year-old man. How did he go from an eight-year-old boy to a 30-year-old man in two years? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> right. I, I think what they were trying to do when they wrote it was they were trying to say that he was resurrected after his mother was killed to avenge her death. That was dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Because if it made any sense, they would have stopped after the apartment scene at the very beginning. Right. You know, why would he continue to keep killing? It makes no sense. And one little thing, one little tidbit that I noticed, if you go back and watch the second one, 
I can't. I think it's the it's the scene with the cop where he hits him in the back of the head with a hammer. Mm-hmm. If you look, you can actually see Adrian King, which played Alice in the first one. Yeah, yeah. You can actually see her body laying on the floor in front of the shrine with the screwdriver in her head. What? Where is the scene at? It's where the cop, when he's in the shed. Uh-huh. And they find the shrine. Right. When the cop finds the shrine, he hits him in the back of the head with the, with the hammer, with the coal hammer. Right. As he falls down, you're looking at the shrine, and she's right there in the front with her body decomposed. Oh, jeez. Wow. It's like a split second. Yeah. You've got to really look for it. I mean, that's one of those you have to really look for. Here's something that uh, will probably make you kind of (laughs) happy. Did you know that he was specifically made to look like the killer from the town that dreaded sundown? I didn't know he was supposed to be, you know, I didn't know it was supposed to be direct. You know about that, you know, the, the town that dreaded sundown? You know that movie. Right? Oh, I live like 45 minutes from the town where it happened. Like I'm bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, the town of the period of sundown happened an hour, about an hour from where I live. And to this day, they still have not caught the Phantom Killer. We're going to have to sit down and watch that and do a review. Yeah, we're going to have to. Just not the newer version. That one kind of kind of pissed me off. Oh, really? Yeah, because it was like, it wasn't a remake it was uh-huh. like a continuation kind of kind of you kind of suck. The new one did? Yeah. Or the old one. Kind of pissed me off. We'll get no, I like the old one. The okay. new one pissed me off, but we'll get into that when we go into <laughs> we'll review okay. that movie. All right. So um just jump in with a little fun fact here. Let's see. The actors that stayed in the cabin on set, John Fury, Bill Randolph, Russell Todd, came to Lauren Marie Taylor's cabin to play a prank on her. They scratched her screen window, and she hyperventilated until she fainted. Wow. So she was a little... uh, (laughs) On edge, I guess, huh? Uh, yeah, I guess so. 
So now that we have uh, part one and two, you ready to pick apart okay. the remake? Yes. Yes, I am. All right. First things first, what I liked about the remake is they took just the ending of part one. Mm-hmm. Took and added the fact that he watched his mother be beheaded. He was a little boy on the beach. And see, I like that concept. Because she thought he drowned. That's why the events took place. It says it at the beginning. But yet, there he is, picks up her locket. Now you jump 20, 25 years later. I mean, perfect. It, it, it's a good jump. I mean, it explains why Jason is the way he is. Yes, he has a motive. Right. I mean, it's not like it is the original <laughs> flow from part one to part two. Yeah, he has a motive, but he didn't witness it. You know, he was, according to the script and everything, he was dead. With this one, he wasn't dead. That we know of. Because right. the way they do it is like, you let my son drown. But they didn't say 20 years ago or whatever. It just says, you let my son drown. So the way the script goes and the way it was worded and everything at the beginning was like, it just happened like a day or two ago. And then she went on this murder's rampage and he didn't die. That like she thought she he did, and so she went on this murder for rampage, got herself killed, and now you have the events of the remake. Right, which I will go and say that the remake is a superior movie than one and two combined. I'll agree with you on that one. Remake was excellent. I don't particularly like remakes in general, but. That remake was great. It was. And, you know, and that's my opinion is because they had that transition that one and two didn't really have. Because there was that perfect transition from the very beginning to 20 years later. And it was perfect. It was. And 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 they talked about the tunnels, too. You know, all the tunnels through the, you know, Crystal Lake right. camp. Right. That was ingenious. It explains how he was able to get in front of him. Yes. Yes. It was, you it, know, it was good. Right. And what I liked about it, too, is the camp was shut down. They weren't trying to remake it. They weren't trying to rebuild it. You know, it's after the events of that night, they just shut the camp down. Yeah. 
And so he had to learn to survive on his own. And it worked out perfect. The whole thing about them looking for the weed at the very beginning. Yeah. I thought I thought that was ingenious. Because then they give you the story of Camp Blood while they're sitting there drinking beer looking for this weed. Mm-hmm. But only mm-hmm. a couple of char- but only a couple of characters know about the weed. The rest of them think they're just going on a camping trip. and it was perfect because it was a great it was a great setup I mean it really was was. because you hear because you hear the story and then the two characters go off they discover the camp and then they discovered Jason's room when he was a kid and stuff like that. Right. So, you know, and they're like, is that, the Jason, is that the Jason from his story? It worked out great. Then you fast forward maybe a couple of weeks. No, no, a couple of months. And the brother's been looking for his sister for months. Yeah. You know, it's like anybody that goes tramps it around Crystal Lake, you know, they never come back. And I was like, okay, you know, it's a perfect tagline. And then, you know, he's at the store and everything trying to get the flyer put up there. And the store owner or cashier, whatever, he's like, No, my you know, my boss is a dick and yada yada yada. So you got the one character, Brent, that's coming into the store. Right. And you know, he's a total douchebag. You know, he's that typical douchebag of every movie. Yeah. Your stereotypical. And so when he, <laughs> right, you know, there's always that one douchebag. And so he puts a flyer in the dude's car. <laughs> and that was like the perfect, go screw yourself. But, you know, I, and I think the brother was the perfect cast. I mean, most people know Jared Palandecki from Supernatural. Supernatural, yeah. Unless you're, unless, and I'm going to give this a shameless plug here because it's a pretty good show in in and of itself, unless you're a Gilmore's Girl fan. That's where you got to start. Shameless plug. Hey, it's a good pretty good show i i don't i don't blame <laughs> i don't judge you know i do watch i do watch stuff other than horror not very often but i do but when you watch him in this movie and then you see him in supernatural 
it was a perfect flow. I think he was great in the character. <clears throat> because even if you go, you know, getting away from the horror part of it, when you watch him in Gilmore Girls, then you see him in the remake of Friday the 13th, and then his transition over to Supernatural, his personality between the characters really doesn't change. I mean, but you can see the way he grows up in between, which was actually pretty interesting. Now, you, did you know, and this is something that I just accidentally stumbled across, next month in August, is going to be a brand new Friday the 13th movie. Really? Yep. It's called... Uh, uh, let's see. It's called Jason Rising. I did not know that. Yeah, and I didn't know that. Let's see. Ask me what day it comes out on. Uh, probably the 28th. August, Friday the 13th. Really? Yes. Huh. Yep. Interesting enough. All right, back to the movie, back to our original review. It's just something <laughs> I felt I found. I was about to say, I didn't think August had an August, the 13th, Friday the 13th this year, but I guess so. So, when you look at it, you know, when you're looking at it all in general, it's got a great flow from beginning to end. Yes. Because it, it gives you so much more of Jason that you don't see in the original franchise. You know, the fact that he knows how to sharpen his own machete. The tunnels, you know, the fact that he knows how to use archery. Yes. I mean, I thought that was an interesting, you know, and one of the most interesting kills, in my opinion, is where she's under the dock. And he just takes the machete and just shoves it down the top of her head. Oh my god, yes. Yes, that was that was epic. <laughs> it really was epic. It really was. That was one of the that was one of the best kills. The other one was the uh, the axe throwing. You know, you had the black dude running up the hill and he just takes the axe out of the out of the log and just chokes it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like wow. I mean, but if you if you pay attention, every kill, almost every kill, except for like one or two, were all things you learned at summer camp. Yeah. yeah, archery, archery, hatchet, hatchet throwing, throwing, 
Right. I mean, it was kind of interesting the way they they did that throughout the movie. That was clever. Yeah, that was very clever. Yeah. I I really thought there was going to be more after the, the remake because I'm pretty sure the remake made its money back, right? It did well at the box office. It did do poor. I think it like I think it tripled its money because it took what twelve years to make a new movie. Uh, let's see. That one came out nine. 2009 and then that yeah and the the only thing that's come out after that now is this one that we just found right wow that's a blast from the past i'm scrolling down it says official site the official myspace page (laughs) uh yeah it 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 doubled. It uh, budget was nineteen million, and well, no, it doubled opening weekend forty million five hundred thousand and seventy, and worldwide, oh jeez, worldwide it made ninety one million five hundred thousand. So it did really well. Yeah. So I'm surprised it took that long to make a new one. No kidding. Uh, Let's take a peek. It's something that I enjoy doing here. All Uh, right. Sheriff. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sheriff Brack. Uh-huh. Wasn't cast until 12 hours before he was supposed to be filmed. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, mine was going to be a, a goof for a blooper, which is around the 24 minute line or minute timeline. Uh, it, it is illegal for patrons to pump their own gas in New Jersey. By law, there would be there would have to be an attendant on duty and a gas would not be paid for inside that is that is odd really very odd i mean you know here in the land of california you don't even have to put your atm in the car or in the machine anymore all you have to do is take your atm tap it on the pump and then start pumping Right. That's very interesting. Um, what do you got? I'm uh, just kind of looking. Uh, let's see. At the one hour and five minute mark, when Jason is walking up to the house to see Trent and Bree having sex through the bedroom window, you can clearly see. The ceiling fan above them is on and spinning. The next scene, which is a close-up of Bree from the waist up, the ceiling fan is not on at all. 
Continuity, people. Hmm. Continuity. Exactly. Uh, let's see. What else? I will have to. Let's see. Uh, around at the six minute mark, you can clearly see the two reflections in the. Hello? I'm here. Can you not hear me? Well, what I found out is what explains if the GPS unit works by sending a signal to a satellite, which in turn responds. In reality, GPS units only receive signals from various satellites and never transmit any signals. Around the 26-minute mark, New Jersey is a, is a helmet law. Clay was not wearing a helmet while riding his motorcycle. A law, a law officer, Brack, apparently chose to overlook. And then 11 minutes in, when he finds a weed plant in the woods, he smells the leaf. Actually, it's the flower, the plant, the flower of the plant, the smokable part that gives the famous smell, not leaves. So as near the beginning as Clay is going door to door, the old lady makes the comment to him that the locals know where to walk, where to avoid disappearing. A few scenes later, after Clay leaves another barn, the worker is later killed by Jason. This would be likely outside of Jason's territory. The same could be said of Jason killing the kids at Trent's dad's house. Hmm. But in regards to that, this is incorrectly regarded as goofs. You know, with that little bit, it's technically not a goof because they're still at Crystal Lake. Right. And, you know, the one he kills at the barn, he flat out tells him, I found a shit ton out in the woods. Which would be the same weed that's out of Camp Crystal Lake. Where the other dude was killed. Right, that makes sense, actually. Right. So, you know, that all makes sense. And, like, with Trent Dad's house, it, you know, he states, the boat's on the other side of the lake. Oh, I mean, come on. Right. You know, if all of Crystal Lake is his territory, there you go. It'll be all over but, the place. Right. But at the same time, you look at it from the particular point of you don't know how close Trent's dad's house is to the actual camp. All he said was the boat's on the other side of the lake. 
doesn't tell you where his dad's house is compared to the boat. Right. You know, so you, he could be a mile from the camp as far as anybody knows. You just know the boat's on the other side of the lake. That's true so that too, makes perfect yeah. sense. Right. And the ones that get killed in the boat, how close did they get to, you know, the camp on the reason they were killed? Or is it right. just the simple fact that they're on the lake and they're not supposed to be there? Wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. Yep. Right. You know, because like she said, you know, locals know where to step. Well, you would think after all these years, you know, you're talking 39 years or 29 years from 80 to 2009. You're talking 29 years. Yes. Which means Jason would be about 30, 34. You're talking he has learned all the locals, so he knows who the locals are. He knows not to mess with them. Right. So, when they're out there, group of people. Right. New group of people. You know, they're getting close. I don't want them to stumble upon my little thing that I've got going. So, He's going to kill off all the outsiders, which actually makes perfect sense. The only thing that I didn't figure out in that movie was why did he have the sister his prisoner? That that was the only thing that didn't make sense to me. Remember the locket? Yes. When you open the locket, it was a picture of his mother at a young age. And the sister looked like the mother. Got you. Okay. Okay. So, after all those years, that was the only picture that he had of his mother. And that's all he could remember. Got you. Because you got to remember, because you got to remember, Jason was deformed. He was probably, he probably had, you know, mental retardation, something like that. You know, he was born deformed. Right. And that was, you know, so mentally he probably wasn't, he probably wasn't mentally developed. And, you know, most people that are that way, of course, you would know, their brute strength is ridiculous. Oh, yes. Yes, they do know. Yes. So, you know, looking at all those factors... If that's the only picture he had of his mother, that's what he thinks she looks like. So that's the only reason why he kept the sister. Is because that she looked sense. like his mother, and that's the only picture he had. Gotcha. That's the only that's the only thing I can think of that makes actually makes sense. She was like a living picture to him. Right. He knew nothing, nothing different. Right. It it well, like I said, it's uh it's a superior, definitely a superior movie. Yes. It's 
It just it took it took everything you loved of the of the original one and two franchise, and even some of the third, even some of the third, and just combined it all into one. And I don't know if this is going to become a running thing, but if you have not seen any of these movies, I highly suggest that you sit down and watch them. They are all over the place. Again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the uh, box set from, I think it was Arrow, just got released. Really? Yeah. Right on. Just the box set of every last one of them. I have. And it even, it's right up there. Yeah. It even includes Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, and Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, really? Yes. It includes my, every every movie that Jason was in. My collection doesn't have those three. <laughs> uh, I think we are <laughs> at our limit. All right, guys. If you're looking for monsters under your bed, don't don't look because they're all in your head. I'm Alan Russo. I'm Dave Montoya. All right, guys. Have a good one. See ya.